You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast for Wednesday, February 17th, 2021. I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com, and today our episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. On today's show, we have our weekly mailbag. Thanks to everybody who sent in questions. We will get to as many of them as we can. Our first question, if Joe Douglas drafts Wilson or Fields and they turn out to be so-so Andy Dalton level, what happens? Does Joe Douglas get fired after X years, and what is X? You know, Andy Dalton is viewed as the poster boy for mediocrity at the quarterback position, and I'm not sure it's entirely fair. Now, in New York, we have seen failed young quarterbacks. I don't think you could say Andy Dalton is a failed quarterback. I think in context for a second-round pick, Cincinnati made a very successful selection when they drafted Dalton back in 2011. Now, is Dalton a top-level quarterback? The answer is pretty clearly no. But he was plenty good enough to win with if you put a quality team around him. I don't think he is ultimately the reason the Bengals failed to go deeper than they did. And I think that with a couple of better breaks, those teams that they had in Cincinnati could have gone on runs. And the best team that they had was probably in 2015, and Dalton got hurt near the end of that year. So A.J. McCarron had to start at the end of the season and in the playoffs. Obviously, Dalton is not what you're looking for with the second overall pick if you draft a quarterback. But I don't think that's the end of the world. I think that comes down to whether or not you build a quality team around these guys. And that's especially true the first four years of their respective careers where where they will be cheap because they're on rookie contracts. Maybe you're not getting top-level quarterback play, but you're still getting a bargain. A competent quarterback who does not cost much money is a big asset for a team. And those those first four years, you're going to have the ability to build a, a, a good roster and you'll have a chance to win. Now, things become a little bit more complicated after those first four years because with a quarterback who's not at the top of the league, you do have to worry about overpaying. Overpaying a guy who's just a competent quarterback, who's just a decent quarterback, is the type of thing that can really hold your team back. But I'm not sure it's necessarily the end for Joe Douglas if these guys are just competent starters. Now, if Joe Douglas drafts one of these guys and they're a total bust, and again, we've seen total busts here in New York, that's a different story. You know, if you get the mid-level guy, the guy who's kind of okay, guy who's a credible starter in this league, it's not the ideal scenario at two, but it's not necessarily the, the, the scenario that gets Joe Douglas fired, unless he fails to build a roster around the quarterback. And if he does, if he fails to do that, then even a really talented guy that they draft probably would would not look too good so I think it's ultimately going to be about at least in the short term it's going to be about building the making sure you get somebody who's at least decent and building the roster around them 
Next question. Crowder has been a good player for us, but with his contract, I think something needs to happen this offseason. I would like to keep him on the team, though. What would a reasonable restructure slash extension to keep him look like, which would make both sides happy? Well, you know, in a situation like this, sometimes what happens, as you mentioned, is it, it is an extension, which lowers the player's cap value, but it gives the player a lot of money up front because the player gets a signing bonus. So the player gets a lot of guaranteed money, he gets a big check right now. So he's fine with that, even though it lowers his salary. So if they could work out some sort of extension, and it's difficult to prognosticate because it's going to be a different kind of offseason. Typically, the cap is going up, so you factor in that the price for a player is higher than it was last year. This year, the cap looks like it's going down, so the price could be lower. I think for me, I mean, I don't know whether it would make Crowder happy. I'd look for something in the $7 million range. But there, there are a couple of caveats when you talk about Crowder. And a big one is just the question of the extent to which these new coaches want to utilize him. One of the reasons Crowder was signed is that he fits perfectly for what Adam Gase wants to do. Adam Gase wants a traditional slot receiver, and he wants to feature him heavily. Does the new coaching staff want to do that? I think that there are some areas that suggest maybe they would. I think there are some things you could look at that suggest maybe they would not want a player like Crowder. So... It's not always just about, is the guy good? It's also a question of, does the player uh, fit the coach's plans? You know, when you're talking about, like, a quarterback, that's less relevant. Because your quarterback, if if the Jets draft a quarterback at two, he's going to be the franchise player. That's not about whether he fits your scheme. But, like, a slot receiver like Crowder, who's a more complimentary part, I think that you do have to question a little bit, especially a guy making a lot of money. Crowder's not a go-to guy, so I think for somebody like that, you you look at what the coaches want to do as far as their scheme goes. I think another factor that needs to be considered is, as I mentioned, this is a year where the cap's likely to go down, and that means that there are going to be players who hit the market who typically don't, players who may be cut for cap reasons who, in a more normal year, the teams would not be in as much of a cap crunch. So that's there's going to be more good players available. That brings the price down. And so does the fact that this appears to be a pretty solid draft class at the receiver position. So it's it's one thing if you're at a position where there are not going to be many options to upgrade. There are going to be lots of good receivers available. And I think that factors into your decision how you handle Crowder at his current salary. You know, in a year where there were not going to be many viable options at the receiver position, you may say, okay, I don't love Crowder at this price, but... I don't see how we upgrade. And there have been years like that in the past. This is the type of year where there should be plenty of quality receivers available. And there's a one third factor I'm going to mention. And I think sometimes, especially in recent years with the Jets, players maybe get a little overrated because they produce. But one of the reasons they produce is being the only competent player at their position they just get opportunities. I, I call this, I don't want to invoke Jeremy Curley because I do think Crowder is better than Curley, but I think part of the reason Crowder's production has been at the level it's been at is the Jets have lacked quality receiver play in his time here, which means that more targets are naturally going to go to him. I'm not sure he's a guy who should be getting the volume he's gotten the last two years with the Jets it's as far as targets go. I think he's a guy who's more of a complimentary part who has been kind of thrown into a role where he's had to be a main player and I think that maybe that's inflated his production a bit at least again he's a decent player but 
being the only decent player means that the targets have to go somewhere, and they're going to go to the, the decent player. I think in a good offense, you would not want Crowder featured to the extent he's been featured. So when you point to his production and say the Jets can't afford to lose that, I think you have to consider that part of that production has been just due to the absence of anybody else who's been a decent receiver. So lots to consider with Crowder, but I mean, my target price would probably be somewhere around $7 million a year or so. BetOnline.ag is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline also covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV, with real-time updated odds and props on almost everything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use the mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts, and use promo code Locked On, one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to receive that 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Wednesday doing our weekly mailbag show. Our next question comes from Sean. Sean writes, long-time listener, first time writing in. I'm curious about your thoughts on a draft day scenario. Suppose the Panthers or Lions offer the Jets a great trade package to move up to two. Is there a world where Douglas and company would consider dropping down in the hopes that Trey Lance is still on the board? That's an interesting question, and I think Trey Lance is one of the biggest wild cards in this draft because he comes from a small school, because he only played one game this year. The team he plays on actually scheduled one game they canceled their season and they pretty much scheduled one game just to give Lance a showcase and he doesn't have a lot of starting experience so big wild card but also a guy with a lot of tools and the question is whether there's a team that's going to fall in love with Lance and I do think that there's a a scenario where this could happen I think that there's certainly a scenario where Joe Douglas could view Lance as a better prospect than these other two and if he does that then perhaps you trade down. And I will note that Douglas has been in a front office that's done something like this before. Back in 2008, Baltimore actually traded down from its first round pick when they drafted Joe Flacco. Now, they made they actually made two trades. They traded down with Jacksonville, got three picks in return, and then they traded up for Flacco. And they gave back one of the picks Jacksonville uh, gave them when they traded down. So Baltimore ended up getting their quarterback and essentially two mid-round picks in return. So that was some pretty nimble moving by the Baltimore Ravens. So yeah, Douglas has done it before. He's he, he hasn't done it before. It was Ozzie Newsom who did it, but Douglas has seen that happen before. I don't think it's totally out of the realm of possibility for some team, perhaps the Jets, perhaps some other team, to view Lance as a better prospect than Fields or Wilson. So I think it's conceivable. The one thing about it, though, is that's a big gamble. Because if you like Lance better than Wilson or Fields, how do you know some other team doesn't feel the same way? And how do you know some other team would not draft them? And you're putting a lot on the line, especially if you think that this guy could be your franchise quarterback for a couple picks. So that's the, that's the side, that's the flip side to that. And the way I kind of view it in a sense is it's one thing when you're in round two to trade down and gamble that you can get Denzel Mims. Cause if you miss out on that, you miss out on that. There's always going to be a receiver. It's another thing to gamble potentially the next 10 to 15 years of your franchise and hoping that the guy you believe is a franchise quarterback falls to you. So you better make sure your intelligence is really good when you do something like that. If it works out well, great. But 
if it doesn't work out, you'll kind of be kicking, you'll probably be kicking yourself for the rest of your life for losing out on your quarterback. So it's a, it's a, I'd say it's a very high risk move on a number of levels. And part of it is that Lance is such a wild card. You know, it's, I think he's a very difficult guy to evaluate. I don't think that it's totally out of the realm of possibility though. If you have, feel like you have a good sense of where the rest of the league is valuing Lance and you think you can get extra premium picks, you know, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, big part of me, though, feels like you don't want to gamble on something like this. So I think it's possible. I'm not sure I would do it, though. Our next question. Last year on the podcast, you applauded how Joe Douglas leaned leaned into the strengths of the draft class by taking an offensive tackle in the top half of round one and a receiver in round two. Clearly, the strength in this coming draft is quarterback in the top three, but what do you think are the strengths of the draft in the 20s and 30s that Joe should be hoping to lean into with pick 23 and pick 34? Well, I'd say receiver again. I think the way this is setting up, it does not sound like this is going to be as deep of a receiver class as last year, but it's still going to be a good receiver class, which means that late first, early second round could be the, the spot for that. As you mentioned, I think it was second round last year was really the spot for a receiver. And by the way, I think the Jets should have drafted a receiver with one of their three fourth round picks last year. I think it would have been a good spot for that as well. I think if I had a criticism of Joe Douglas's 2020 draft class, at least at this point in time, it would be that he only drafted one wide receiver. Whether it's Fields, whether it's Wilson, whether it's Deshaun Watson, whether it's Sam Darnold, whoever's playing quarterback for the Jets next year, you want to make sure that they have a great group of receivers, or you want to make sure they at least have a group of receivers they can win with. So you've got Mims, you may have Crowder coming back, but even if you have those two, and if you feel confident in those two, you still need a third guy, and you want that guy to be a high-impact player. So I think that that would be a great spot for a receiver. That, that's really where, where my mind has been, not just now, but over the last few weeks I've been thinking this through, and I've really kind of come to the conclusion that at either 23 or 34, I would be a little bit disappointed if the Jets did not leave it with a receiver. Next question. Do you feel that if the Jets draft a quarterback at two that they will st- start week one? I think that's very likely. I think when you're talking about a quarterback at the top of the draft, these are typically guys who are so talented that they're ready to to start at the very beginning. You know, one of the things I warn people about every year is not to expect too much out of rookies because it's a big transition to the NFL. But if you're a top two pick, generally speaking, that means that you're the elite of the elite. That means that you were essentially a pro playing in college. So I think it would be a little bit of a dis- disappointment if they picked a quarterback at two and they were not the week one starter. And I want to be very clear about that. I'm saying a little bit of a disappointment. I'm not saying that it's the end of the world. I'm not saying the player's career is over. There are plenty of good quarterbacks who have needed a couple weeks. They've sat on the bench. Sometimes it's one week. Sometimes it's a month. Sometimes it's half a year. Sometimes it's a full year. But my guess is that if you pick a quarterback at two, odds are they're going to be the week one starting quarterback. Odds are the team is going to enter training camp maybe with a nominal competition, but with the scales tipped toward the quarterback. Essentially, if you pick a quarterback at two, I think in most cases what happens is the team goes into training camp really hoping that the quarterback, really hoping that rookie wins the job. 
and it's kind of a case where even though the competition is open, the rookie only does not uh, be the starting quarterback if he plays himself out of that role. If he's so bad that you just cannot put him on the field. So my guess is that the answer to that would be yes. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever, and the new Built Bar is even more delicious. There are now 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp to go with the 12 original flavors. The bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. And if you go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll get 20% off your next order. Again, that's promo code locked on. It's one word with no space, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for 20% off at BuiltBar, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on a Mailbag Wednesday. Our next question is from Sean, who asks whether the Jets might trade down to get a lot of extra picks from some team that wants Zach Wilson or Justin Fields and then use all of those picks to trade for Deshaun Watson. And the theory behind that is maybe Houston would prefer getting like five first-round picks instead of just the second overall pick. I think that if Houston wants to do that, then they would just trade for the second overall pick and then trade down themselves. My guess is that they'll want the second pick because they'll want to draft their replacement for Watson. But I think that the more moving parts you bring into any sort of trade make it less likely... Trading for Deshaun Watson is going to be a complex move anyway, and when you add an extra step where you first trade down to get extra picks, you trade down from two to get a bunch of extra picks, it makes it more complex. It makes it more difficult to pull off. So my guess is that the answer is no, and my guess is that if that trade's on the table for the Jets to trade down from two to get all those extra picks, if Houston wants those extra picks instead of two, they can just trade for the second pick and then trade down themselves. I don't think that that's necessarily a more viable path to trading for Deshaun. Our next question, what are your thoughts on J.J. Watt for the Jets? I know this seems counterintuitive for the Jets to pay big money for an injury-prone older veteran, but the Jets can afford him. Defensive end is a big need. Salah and Douglas have the belief that this team can win now. He played 16 games last season, and he'd be a total culture changer in the locker room. He's the same age as Reggie White was when he signed with the Packers in 93, and that did not turn out so bad. I agree probably with more than half of that. I'm not sure he's necessarily right now. Now, I think historically he's up there with with a Reggie White. He, he is a historically great pass rusher. I do have some questions about him. I do think you have to wonder about the injuries. I understand he played 16 games last year, but I, I do have some concerns about his durability. I do have some concerns about his ability to stay on the field if you look at his recent track record. And I'm not sure he's still at the top of his game. That said, I mean, he's still a very productive player. I know you can look at the sack totals and wonder whether he's still got anything left in the tank, but he still was getting to the quarterback at a pretty good rate. He still was registering hits. He was registering pressures. I would not be surprised to see a sack number go up this year. I don't think this is vintage J.J. Watt at this point. So I don't think that he's the premium player the way a Reggie White was back in the 1990s for the Green Bay Packers. But I still do. I, I actually kind of agree with this, and this might be counterintuitive because as you mentioned he's kind of older Jets are a rebuilding team I'm not sure I agree that Salah and Douglas are necessarily looking to win now but in in another sense Watt could be a guy who would make sense from the standpoint that you're looking for guys who are going to come in and be good leaders in the locker room teach teach guys how to play 
but these guys need to be players who can still play themselves. You know, I think that that was one of the issues with Frank Gore last year is that he may have been a great locker room guy, but he really did not have a lot to provide the Jets as a player. I still think Watt is an above average pass rusher. The question as always comes down to price. I don't think you can pay him as though he's vintage J.J. Watt. He's just not anymore. I think you've got, you have to price in the injury concerns and you have to price in the fact that even though his production is still pretty good, it's not the way it was back when he was the defensive player of the year. He's, he's, a, he's a guy who's still better than most pass rushers in the league, and he's still very good against the run. He's still excellent against the run, but this is not vintage J.J. Watt. So I, if I'm not paying for vintage J.J. Watt, if I'm, playing for, if I'm paying for the player he is now, I actually do. I probably would roll the, the dice in spite of the injury concerns because he can produce and he can help the locker room quite a bit. That said, I mean, I think it's going to be a tough sell because I think he's going to want to go somewhere where he thinks he can win a championship right now. Now, if the Jets get Deshaun, I could see that being a very viable possibility. That then I could see then I could see it happening. I think if the Jets are drafting a rookie at two, I'm not sure how attractive they are to a JJ Watt because JJ Watt's probably looking at this saying, "I don't have many years left." Even if you think the Jets are a team on the rise. They're not going to be a championship team next year with a rookie quarterback, probably. So it may be a couple of years. And even if even if you like what the Jets are doing, even if you like Robert Sala, if I'm J.J. Watt and I only have a couple of years left, I can't wait for the Jets to build up the roster. I have to go to a team that I think can win right now. So that's that's kind of my, my views on this is kind of complex, but that's how I see it. And our last question, I used to be in the Keep Sam camp, but the more I think about it, the more it's it's time to move on. Everybody talks about how the Jets avoided a bullet by Cousins signing with Minnesota. Even if Sam does improve next season, what's a realistic expectation? It's probably that he plays at a level of a Cousins instead of a Watson or an Allen. So if we say we are lucky enough to not have signed Cousins, then why would we sign Darnold to a big long-term contract if he puts together a Cousins-type season? I think that's a decent point. Uh, the, the one thing I'd say about Cousins, and I guess there's, there's some symmetry on this show because we began talking about Andy Dalton. A lot of the points I made about Andy Dalton apply to Cousins. He's not a bad quarterback. And the issue with Cousins a couple of years ago was not that he, he, was, he would be a negative as a starting quarterback. The issue is the price. I saw this article, it may have been a year or two ago, that discussed the Cousins situation, and they mentioned that there's nothing wrong with Kirk Cousins as a player. The problem right now is that for the Vikings, he's not Kirk Cousins. He's Kirk Cousins' contract, is that he got so much money that he's, it's focused on what he, you focus on what he can't do, because he's paid, he's just paid too much money. It's the type of contract that prevents the team from filling in the, the roster, from giving you the type of pieces you need to win big. So that's that's the way I see it. It's not so much that Kirk Cousins would be a bad outcome. It's that he just cost too much money. And I think it's a fair point to make about Sam because we don't know what the next contract would be like. Would it take a Kirk Cousins type deal moving forward to keep him on the team? It's possible. There is another caveat here, though. And that's if he plays well next year, the Jets do have the franchise tag at their disposal, which would at least buy them some time. It would give them some degree of leverage in negotiations. You have to remember that when Cousins hit the open market, Washington had already tagged him twice, so they could not tag him a third time. And Washington did get a couple of good years out of Cousins with, by utilizing the franchise tag. So that's another thing to keep in mind is, you know, if you do bring Sam back, 
and he has a big year and you can't work out a long-term deal, you can buy yourself another year or two with the franchise tag. I think that there are reasons to not bring Sam back. I think that some of the reasons you mentioned are viable, but I think you could make a case to the contrary. I think that there are stronger reasons to not bring Sam back, and that's just, I think the biggest one is just how little he's shown you at this point. I think that it's very difficult to look at the player he was last year and see a lot of positives. And, you know, I think going forward, you want to see positives. But I do think the factors you mentioned are are in play here. I think that there are some answers to it, though. So I, this is probably not a great answer because I can see it both ways. But I think ultimately anything that's not a rock-solid case for bringing Sam Darnold back probably works against him. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. As always, if you enjoyed the show, subscribe to it and leave it a good review. I hope you have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back again tomorrow to talk more Jets.